Hi, this is Terrell Somerville, the lead pastor of Freedom Church. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you enjoy the message today and that you'd also take time to get plugged in to your local church. We believe you can't do life alone, so we learn to do life together. I also want to thank our givers who make this podcast possible. If you are blessed by this ministry, please consider subscribing, giving, and sharing this with your friends and family. God bless you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Freedom 1030 service. Good to see you all. Welcome to our online church family, wherever you may be. We're excited to have you here as well. We're in week two of a series called United We Stand. We're going to continue that here in just a moment. That uh, series is actually only three weeks long. It'll end next uh, Sunday. So uh, we're looking forward to a great day. As Kirsten said, we talked about the trunk retreat. Uh, and if you're still interested in bringing a trunk, we'd love to have you bring a trunk. Uh, we have many, many, many trunks, uh, close to 40, I believe. Uh, listen, we, how many of you already voted? Uh, in, the, in the early voting. Seems like our nation in general is yes, a lot, uh, setting records for early voting, which is very interesting. And, and uh, we are hosting a early voting here at Freedom Church. And we've had, in just like a week and a half, over 15,000 people come through our doors to cast their vote. And uh, if you're looking and watching for the second time this morning, I said 10,000 10, at the uh, first service, but it's, I was correct, it's 15,000, Will. It's like church attendance. Once you get to 600, we just say it's 1,000, right? So, uh, so there's four more days of that early voting all the way through Thursday, and we're excited to introduce people to Freedom Church as they walk in the doors. We've had a lot of people comment and let us know uh, they were excited to be here. So we're excited for the holiday season. Uh, I want to say to you as by way of introduction this morning uh, that uh, I believe, it's my opinion, we have a pretty good setup here in America. Uh, You see, we have a representative republic, and what that means is that you and I, we actually have an opportunity to cast a vote, right? We have a say. Well, I can tell you that all the way through past history and even today, that's not the case in most of the world. It's not a perfect republic. It's not a perfect situation. I mean, we have conflict. We have arguments, like in the context of what we're talking about this morning, religion and politics, you know, and, and for that reason, a lot of times we kind of fear going to Thanksgiving dinner and, uh, you know, having a, have a get-together with the extended family because you never know where that may go, and it's just no fun. Well, it's not a perfect society, but consider this. Not only do we get a chance to vote, we get a chance to vomit all over Facebook when, whenever we want, our social media, you know, we get an opportunity to protest, we get an opportunity to run for office. It was my desire growing up years to run for president, <laughs> didn't work out, but it didn't seem so hard, you know. Um, so that was its aspiration. We can do that. We can run for government in our society. We can donate to someone who is, who is running for office, you know, and things along that nature. Uh, that's the kind of freedoms that we enjoy. <clears throat> we have an opportunity to express ourselves through the governing process, and it's very, very, very uh, special. We live in a complex time. I think we would all agree. We live in a complex time. We live in a society that is complex. We live with a society that has complex problems, and so you and I, we need to be self-aware during these times. We need to be situationally aware, if you will, to understand the issues of the day and to be humble about that and walk with wisdom. Having said that, how many of you are tired and kind of wish this whole thing would be over as soon as possible. Yes, I feel you. I feel the same way. I mean, we do this every four years, and, uh, and I don't know about you, but it just seems, doesn't it, a lack of respect 
the loss of dignity, the demise of what I would say is professional decorum, which is you know, out the window in our political uh, society, and it, and it overflows into the streets of our cities. Hate-filled, anger-laced you know, rhetoric back and forth from our political quote-unquote leaders, it's frustrating, it's just annoying, right? And it just kind of wears me out. I'm sure you've felt that. Why do we treat each other that way? Why are we treating each other with such anger and such bitterness and such defiance? The constant beating and thrashing and hammering and trouncing those with different opinions and different ideas. It's divided our country. And it's been destructive. It's been harmful. And so Pastor and I would agree, and as pastors, we preach from excitement uh, um, every week and passion. And we speak from a base of of commitment to the truth of the gospel and the word of God. Uh, And yet in these days, we also speak with a broken heart and a hurtful heart. I mean, it's just fearful in, in a sense. Like, especially for Pastor and I, you know, the aged, we grew up in a different time. And my first opportunity to vote was back in 1980 when the, when the, when the hallowed Ronald Reagan was voted into office. So we've had, you know, these experiences over time when we experience a political process and we get a little nervous and we get a little crazy about what we see and, and how people treat one another. I want to quote, I want to read this quote to you that I read. Uh, this gentleman's name is Hammer Hack, and he's a writer, online writer, and, and he says this, it just captures everything we just said, but in, in a good way. I think he has a way with words. He says, America excels at hate now. He says, whether blank indifference or impassioned cruelty, everybody seems to hate everybody else, perpetually, not at an individual level maybe, but certainly at a group level. It's a set of little tribes. He says, blacks, whites, Asians, liberals, conservatives, rich, poor, young, old, who seem to genuinely despise each other. Listen to what he says. I don't mean just hate politically. I mean something more like experientially. The discourse is ugly. The sediments are grotesque. The thoughts and feelings people express are bitter, negative, and violent, and yet people revel in it, he says, both left and right. In fact, Americans seem to be competing to be the best at how ugly we can be now. Those are hurtful words, and I think he's onto something. Maybe I don't buy in totally, but I'm saying we all realize and we all know uh, that we've seen enough to, that, that, that we have a problem you know, on our hands, which is why I've titled this lesson, Why Can't We Be Friends? You know? Why Can't We Be Friends? 1975, a hit music song. Anybody remember that song? You remember the band that wrote and sang that song? War. <laughs> I didn't miss the irony there. I just thought it was interesting. Why can't we be friends? And it's true, though. I mean, we have, why is it that we can't have differing opinions, ideas, and still get along? Well, we're going to speak to this a, a little bit. In fact, um, we're not the first. Can I tell you that? Back in the Psalms, the David, David the psalmist said something very interesting in Psalm 11, verse 33. It's on your Uh, screen and also on the app. If you look at your app, you can follow along there. Uh, He asked this question. He made a statement and then asked a question. He says, the foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? The Amplified Bible puts it this way. If the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what's the answer? When I speak of righteous, I'm going to make this assumption 
that the righteous are those who believe by faith that Jesus is Lord and we follow him and we learn of him and we worship him and he is our God. And so what can we do? The foundations of a godly society are collapsing around us. What's the answer? How do we respond as individuals? How do we respond collectively as the body of Christ, specifically in the context of this lesson and series? Why can't we just get along? In fact, I want to just pause for a moment and tell you something. I want to show you a video real quick, just 30 seconds long, about something that just came up in my feed yesterday. I didn't know it was out there. It was, it was a commercial done by the, uh, the, the gubernatorial campaign in the state of Utah. And uh, interesting what they decided to do. Watch your screens for just a moment, just 30 seconds. Weeks until the election, you are probably seeing political ads everywhere. But two opposing candidates in Utah or they're apparently politer than most places, wanted to share a different message. Check it out. I'm Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. We are currently in the final days of campaigning against each other to be your next governor. And while I think you should vote for me. Yeah, but, but really you should vote for me. There are some things we both agree on. We can debate issues without degrading each other's character. We can disagree without hating each other. And win or lose in Utah, we work together. So let's show the country that there's a better way. My name's Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. And we, we approve, approve this message. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, good for them. <clears throat> good for them. And listen, the issues are real, right? I mean, there is... There is a difference of opinion, and we're not downplaying that in any way, but I would suggest this. If we stand any chance of making the title of this series a, a real thing, that united we stand, I mean, we need to talk about these types of things. And so we're going to. Pastor, last week, started this series by saying a divided world needs a united church. It's very, very true. A divided world needs a united church. Listen carefully. The church exists to show the world a better way. The church exists to show the world the true way of being human. Unity instead of division. Love instead of hate. Grace instead of shame. Forgiveness instead of condemnation. A picture of heaven to a broken world. Friends, listen, the church, our church, Freedom Church, is meant to be a picture of heaven to a broken world we look at those words and we get excited. Of course, that's what the church is all about. I mean, that's good. Of course. We want to do all those things. And yet, even in the church world, even of, among those who follow Jesus, it's not automatic. And there are a lot of times when instead of unity, we have division. And instead of love, we have uh, hatefulness and envy and jealousy. And sometimes we're just not the example that we want to be to an unbelieving world. Why can't we be friends? Well, let's go to the scripture. There is a passage of scripture, a little conversation that Jesus had with some religious rulers, authorities in the law of Moses, and he's going to talk about how we treat each other here. You've heard this story before, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40, and Jesus was once asked by someone who was astute in the law of Moses, hey Jesus, can you tell me honestly, what is the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? Now the law of Moses had 633 laws in it. And so you're boiling it down to number one, and that was the question. What is the greatest in all the law and the prophets? What is the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus replied without hesitancy, I would say, and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as I mentioned to you, those were the commands given in the law of Moses. And, 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 and Moses was Jewish, not Christian. And so those are not unique Christian principles. What is uniquely Christian, however, and this is so important to understand, is how Jesus goes on and carries this conversation further and redefines for them the understanding of what a neighbor is. You see, when the Jewish hearers, that Jesus said, hey, love the Lord your God with all your mind and soul and love your neighbors yourself, when they were hearing that, they meant, of course, my tribe, my Jewish brothers and sisters, extended family, those who belong to us, you know, those who are like us, those who are, 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 are tied together in agreement with our mission, vision, and values. And yet Jesus is going to expand that and help them understand and help us understand um, a little bit further about what it means to be a neighbor. What he's going to say here is that your neighbor is someone who you can love as you love yourself. He goes on to tell one of the greatest stories ever uh, told, the story of the Great Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, you may remember that in Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan, and basically what happens in this story that Jesus tells, helping them understand this great commandment, right? He, helps, he, he, under, he teaches that, well, there's this Jewish man, and he's traveling uh, from Jericho, and he's, he's on his way somewhere to home, maybe, uh, to Jerusalem, and, and he, he was... Uh, fell among thieves, and they beat him up, they mugged him, right, and they, and they stole his money, and they left him half dead, the Bible says. And the story revolves around the people that showed up along the way that responded and how they responded. Well, the first one to show up was a priest. He was the pastor of the local synagogue, maybe, I don't know. But evidently, he was late for church. You know, you're going to be late. Maybe not be the pastor and be late, you know. So he looks at him, I can't help him. I can't help him tell what I'm going to do, though. I'm going to just step over here, and I'm going to avoid that issue. And I didn't see that. What was that? And I'm going to keep on going on my way. Well, the second guy was a Levite. Levites were also religious. They were hmm, deacons, maybe, executive boards, worship team. I don't know. <laughs> so what he does is, yeah, same thing. The great example of my pastor. And, and, and he avoids them as well. Walks, walks by him. says, man, I got to go. I'm late for church. Well, actually, I'm right on time, but I'm still kind of, you know, probably wanted me a little sooner, and he goes on. Well, third guy comes upon this gentleman who is beaten and he's half dead, and he stops and he starts to minister to him, and he physically gets him on his feet to a local hotel, spends the night administering first aid, trying to help him along. He leaves him in the bed, and next morning, he goes to the counter, the, the, the manager of the hotel, gives him his credit card, say, listen, I'm good for it. I got to run some business. I'll be back, whatever it costs. We want to make sure we help this gentleman as best we possibly can, and I'll square up with you as soon as I get back. Is that good? It's good. It went, and that's, and that's exactly what happened. And then Jesus asks this question, who do you think out of those three guys was neighbor? And the Jewish people were very bright, just like we are. Of course, the Samaritan. And therein lies the problem. The concept, the idea of a Samaritan being good to a Jew, not good. They were rivals. They were enemies. They didn't like each other, let alone love each other. 
And this was not a, a, a good uh, situation because of the, the hatred they had. And the idea of that a Samaritan would be kind and generous and go out of his way and be selfless, in, uh, unimaginable for the Jewish people. And yet, in the story Jesus tells, that's exactly what happens and what was the point of Jesus? Well, it wasn't the, his point was not to say, hey, you know, these Samaritans aren't as bad as you think. That wasn't his point. Instead, Jesus, as I mentioned to you, was redefining for them who your neighbor is. And it applies to us today. The Jewish law, and in fact, human nature in general, defines neighbor as my people. But Jesus comes along, he says, no, 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 no. Being a neighbor goes far beyond those in your tribe. Being a neighbor goes far beyond caring about and helping and wanting the best for people who think like you, live like you, look like you, and worship like you. Being a neighbor, friends, it extends, Jesus is teaching, even to people who don't like you and don't want the best for you, which is why Jesus made the Samaritan the good guy in this story. And if you want to know what the greatest commandments are, Jesus is saying, well, this is one of them. Love people who are not like you, like you love you. Let me give you some example. This principle taught by Jesus, this single idea that pretty much radically departs from how human culture tragically or typically works, uh, it, it should ch shape our thinking. Love people who are not like you, like you love you. Wait, wait Jesus, they, they believe in abortion. They're pro-choice, I'm pro-life. Love people who are not like you, Jesus says, like you love you. They're black, I'm white. Love people who are not like you, like you love you. Well, they're, they're, they're gay, I'm straight. Lo love people, Jesus says, who are not like you, like you love you. They're, they're for gun control, like I love guns, right? Love people who are not like you, like you love you. They're Democrat, Lord, you don't understand. And I'm Republican. Love people who are not like you, like you love you. I'm right, they're wrong. Love people who are not like you, like you love you. Well, I won't work, I mean, it won't work. I can't love them. They're tree huggers. They didn't like my post on Facebook. They're just hard, you know, their name's hard to pronounce. They never smile, their jeans are too tight. They're Alabama fans, I mean, Lord. <laughs> we know it's not gonna work. They don't even believe in you, Jesus. They don't even like you. They don't want your influence around here. Love people who are not like you, like you love you. Is this not the teaching of our Lord? None of those change what Jesus said. Listen, when I need help from the bullpen, I call Pastor John Piper. So I got a quote for you on the screen, also in your notes. Pastor John Piper, I listen to what he says. Jesus seems to demand that I scare this tear the skin off my body and wrap it around another person so that I feel that I am that other person and all the longings that I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness, I now feel the other, for the other person as though he were me. That is strong. That strong is a good, good explanation. I mean, I don't want to be too harsh either. You know, I, I still believe it's a concern in our day. I do think those of us who follow Jesus are getting better at this. I mean, I think more and more churches are getting it. There's still more work to be done. We know that collectively. I think we're headed in the right direction. And more and more Christian organizations are getting it. Some organizations, honestly, they exist because of it. But I challenge you again, friends, before we move on, love people who are not like you, like you love you. So important. 
So important, but listen closely. This is critical. From what Jesus tells us in those verses about loving our neighbor, there's something even more important. What is it? Well, let me take you to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is a cool book. It's a great book. Of course, we know it's the culmination of all things, and we know that it was written by the, uh, the Apostle John. The Holy Spirit of God uh, took John out on a, the island of Patmos, and, and they spent time together, and he spoke to John and says, this is what I want you to write. I write down these words, and the first three chapters in Revelation uh, consist of some letters that the Holy Spirit of God wanted to be read in some area churches. And just to be sure, these churches were real, uh, they were legit. They were just like you and me. They, they cared about people. They cared about the gospel of Jesus. And they were making an effort to make a difference, a positive difference, a biblical difference, you know, uh, for people. And so he wrote these seven letters to these seven churches. But one of these letters in Revelation chapter 2 was written to the church in the city of Ephesus. And if we were to read the first five verses, we would see Jesus bragging and, and, and complimenting this church, these people, this collective body of Christ, on what they do well. And they did a lot of things well. But then in verse number four, he says this. It's the uh, Passion Translation. I have this against you. He says, you've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Now remember the question Jesus was asked. Jesus, hey Jesus, what is the greatest command in the law of Moses? Well, Jesus answered, he didn't say it was loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he did tell that world and history-changing story about it, redefining the concept of what a neighbor is, because that is the greatest blind spot of the people during that, during that time who were asking the question. But Jesus didn't move that into, you know, the number one position. Jesus still labeled it as second because the first, the greatest commandment of all, still Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Seek God. Desire God. Want God. Treasure God. Let nothing come before God. Love God first before anything or anyone else. Psalmist got it right in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. More of you, my soul thirsts and pants and longs for the living God. So I think we're forgetting that, especially when it comes to how we form our opinions about these controversial issues, I hear a lot of Christians talking about the need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and it's awesome. I hear some who realize that neighbor goes beyond people that like them or beyond people who are like them. It goes beyond that, and this is great. People that are not of their tribe. I hear Christians crusading for justice and compassion, arguing for rights and freedom, advocating for biblical values, traditional morality. You know, every, everyone has their issues. It's all about preventing abortion, which is so very important. It's all about preventing unnecessary deaths from guns or protecting the sanctity of marriage or protecting our borders or protecting the environment. You know, and we got Christians on the left and right and in the middle all over. But here's the thing. I hear a lot of passion about the issues. I don't hear a lot of passion about loving God first. And I want to show you here, if you'd stay with me, why this is so important. So I think about all these issues. I personally, friends, want to be guarded, or I want to be guided 
first and foremost, by my love for my Savior, Jesus. And maybe, maybe I'm just missing it, but I think there's a reason why loving God comes first. I, uh, when, when our cause becomes our first love, when loving others, even those who are not like us, becomes our first love, it just gets out of whack here. Consider these things. As important as justice and compassion and rights and freedom are, when they become detached and when they take precedent over our love for God, they start to mean whatever we want them to mean, and we start blessing things and condoning things and loving things that God does not bless or condone or love. And as loving as it might feel to do that for others, it's not, which is why God doesn't bless or condone or love those things in the first place. Second, as important as biblical values are and as important as traditional morality is, when they become detached from and take precedent over our love for God, and when they become first priority, they become weapons, and they wound the very people God wants them to help. And then finally, listen closely, when our love for others and our causes get detached from and take precedence over our love for God, we become short-sighted and we focus on the here and now and forget that, friends, there is an eternity waiting out there for every one of us. We forget that as important as it is to care about the suffering and, and, and caused by disease and malnutrition or disability or mental illness or injury or abuse or assault, as important as it is to care about the unborn and the pregnant well, women, we forget that the greatest need that men and women have in this life is to come into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ and to follow him and trust him and believe in him. We forget that our greatest task as Christians is to spread the good news. There's hope in Jesus and not the spread of our political brand. So the truth is, friends, one of the reasons God tells us to love him first and most is because when we love God first and most, we're going to love our neighbors best. And that's why we don't want to invert that principle. Again, listen to John, Pastor John Piper. He says this, the essence of love is not doing. The essence of loving is delighting. He says, the heart is not an organ of performance. It's an organ of preference. The heart prefers, and then we act in accordance with our preferences. The first commandment is loving with all your preference. Prefer him, value him, treasure him above everything. And I ask you, do you prefer God? Do you value and treasure him above everything? So what do you treasure? I mean, what brings you delight? And I want to challenge you, friends, if, if it's Fox News or CNN or MSNBC that is the source of your daily devotions, or, 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 or maybe it, it, if it's the platform of the Republican or Democratic Party, is it becomes somehow your confessional statement. And, and evangelism means calling others to make America great again. Maybe you've left your first love. And it's not hard to understand, and the solution is not hard. And we're going to talk about the solution here real quick. Do you remember what it was like when Jesus Christ first captured your heart with the gospel and suddenly your sins were forgiven? That joy, that feeling of undeserved grace is pretty amazing, you know? Do you remember that? See, that, that's what we're talking about, that, that the, the cares of this world, the challenges that we are experiencing presently, 
Not only in our political climate with this virus, right? And with uh, just living, balancing life and, and work and relationships. I mean, it's just so many things can detract from the main thing. So many things can get us off. So have you left your first love? Has your heart moved away? Remember what it was like when you first believed. That's the first thing. Go back to the place in your mind. Dwell on that. Remember that. That's the first step. Verse 5. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ calls the church to repent. Stop, turn around, come back towards me. That's the challenge. That's what Jesus is saying. Tell him you've grown cold. Tell him you've put other loves before him. Confess that you have not loved God as he deserves to be loved. Admit that, you are not the, that, that, that this is not the way you want to live, that you want him to be first in everything. And then finally, Jesus says, start doing those things you did when your heart was first connected to me. And I I would pretty much say, well, that would be like spending time with him in worship, being with others who followed him, giving your time, giving your talent, giving your treasures the things that matter to him. Those things. Go back to those things, Jesus said. Whatever that was, do that again. And I submit to you, friends, when we get that right, When we get the order right on this greatest command, we will stand united. You know, when we stand, I'm sorry, when we talk about unity, it just seems that uh, we've lost the ability to appreciate differences. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not sameness. Unity doesn't require that you are Republican or Democrat. Unity doesn't require that we all believe in the same issues. Unity requires diversity, in fact. Uniformity might be easier. Unity is better. I like the way one man said it. He said, unity is when a group of difference come come together and make a difference. It's when a group of motley crew difference come together and make a difference. This is the last thing I want to challenge you with. Our hope is not based on winning an election. Our hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because, friends, no matter who leads our nation, Jesus still leads his church, right? Classic leadership book I read many years ago. It's still as pertinent today as ever. I challenge you to read this. It's a book written by Stephen Covey, uh, The the, uh, Eight Habits of Highly Effective People, or Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Classic book. Habit number one, he says this, and the main thing is keep the main thing the main thing. Habit number one. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Question. When a godly society is collapsing around us, what can the righteous do? We can love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We can love our neighbors as ourselves. We can keep the main thing the main thing. Listen. <clears throat> the main thing should be front and center. It's that focus on the main thing and and not be distracted by all the other non-main things in our life, right? The question is, what is the main thing with so many aspects to life to balance? Keep the main thing the main thing. What is it that fuels us? That's the question. What is it that gets us up in the morning? What is it that, that keeps us engaged and interested in life? What is that main thing that unites us? When we lose sight of what matters most, division sets in. What is the main thing for people of faith, those who follow Jesus? And Jesus tells us very clearly, Mark chapter 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, the time promised by God has come at last, he says. 
The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That's the main thing right there. The good news, the good news about Jesus. What is the good news about Jesus? Well, here it is. Jesus is king. His kingdom is coming on earth, and everyone is invited in. That's the good news. That's the good news for everyone everywhere, no matter what they've done, what they look like, who they vote for. They are invited into God's kingdom. They are loved and valued by the king of the universe as is. And maybe there's someone in your life that needs to know that. And who better to tell them than you, right? So the main thing, I mean, if the foundation of law and order have collapsed, if the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can we do? We can keep that main thing as the main thing. <clears throat> and so as a way of announcement, I would tell you, I'd like to announce to you that Freedom Church has decided to keep the good news of Jesus, the good news of salvation through Christ as the main thing. Here's the real question, friends. Have you repented of your sins and come into a relationship of faith through Jesus Christ. Now, Romans, the book of Romans, Paul, the apostle, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news, and it's available to you today, no matter where you're at, in person, online. Forgiveness is available through Jesus for you today. He loves you. In fact, he demonstrated his love for you by giving it everything he had. <clears throat> and it hurt. He suffered. He was beaten brutally to within an inch of his life because he loved us, the Bible says. He loved us so much that he gave his life. And Jesus himself said, I love the way Jesus said it, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down freely for you. I lay it down. Have you responded in faith? You say, how you can do that? Well, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You'll be rescued. You'll be saved. You'll be born into the family of God. So I challenge you today, if that's something you have not yet done by faith, do so today. Your most important relationship, the most important decision you'll ever make. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you're here present or if you're watching online today, <clears throat> if you need Christ in your heart, and up to this point, for whatever reason, you have not dealt with this most important relationship, or maybe you deliberately turned away, whatever the case is, God's Spirit calls you to Christ. Jesus says, repent. Turn away. Stop what you're doing. Turn around come towards the path of forgiveness and life. Pray this way, dear Lord Jesus, I love you, I need you. I ask, please, forgive me of my sin. Come to my life. Today I say yes to Jesus. I need Christ as my Savior. I mean, you're just talking to God, right? I mean, it's not a, some kind of a prayer that you memorize or recite. It's just, Lord Jesus, I need you. Based on the authority of Scripture and what the Word says, you know, the promise of God is sure. Your life can be transformed by the grace of God. Maybe you're here today and you said, I've been following Christ for a while. I mean, I get it. I understand most of what I read. And um, I would maybe confess 
that I'm not where I should be. Thank God I'm not where I used to be, right? How many of you would say, well, you know, definitely left my first love, and I, de- I need to get back in order. You know the great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. Take care of the first priority, the, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. If that's you this morning, just pray for a moment. Say, dear God, I desire to live with you as Lord. And I want my life to be representative of my love for you first and foremost. So pray and make that commitment. Whatever it is, repent, turn around, and come back. And then, you know, as you love God in that way, you'll find yourself loving those who aren't like you. You'll, be, you'll find yourself loving like Jesus. Really, that's, that's the greatest way to love. Would you stand with me, please? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you. We need you. We're grateful for the good things you've done for us. God, I've asked that as we stand before you, even, Lord, as we go home and stand before you and look at, you know, the man in the mirror, that you would continue to challenge us and and show us your ways that we would walk in them. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for salvation through Jesus, forgiveness of sins. Thank you for peace and joy. Help us along, dear God. May our strength be, may our faith be strengthened as we pour into your word and surrender our, our wills to yours and to submit ourselves to Jesus. Do your work in us, I pray. Bless those who might have said today, may have re- re- responded in faith to receive your Savior. Bless those, Lord, who follow you, desire to make you number one and love you with all their heart, mind, and soul. I pray that today would be a good day and that the coming days, Lord, as we walk in faith, you'd clear the path that we would be joyful and kind and loving and respectful in Jesus' name. Use us, Lord, to radiate your love for others. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us at Freedom Church Online. We're so excited that no matter what your situation is in life, that you've made receiving God's word today a priority. If you've given your life to Christ today, that's awesome. And we want to know about it. As a church family, we want to be there with you and for you as you begin this exciting journey. If you're on the Freedom Church app or our website, just hit the hamburger icon in the top left of your screen and hit connection card. If you are on Facebook or YouTube, hit the link in the description. Just fill out the information on the form and let us know about this exciting decision. If you are on Facebook or YouTube, hit the link in the description. Just fill out the information on the form and let us know about this exciting decision. If you did receive Christ for the first time today, your next step would be baptism. If you notice on the form, there's a place to select that as well. You can also select any other next steps that you may be interested in. Once you submit it, we will be in contact with you to help you out and answer any questions that you may have. We also want to take this time to give back to God a portion of what He has so graciously given to us. If you are on our app or website, just hit the same hamburger icon from before and hit giving. If you are on Facebook or YouTube, just hit the link in the description. These all take you to a secure place to submit your offering. Also, just because we live in the age of technology doesn't mean you can't send in your tithe the old-fashioned way. If you seal it up in an envelope and send it 
to the address on your screen, this will work just as good. We want everyone to be able to experience the blessings that come from being faithful and trusting God with what he has blessed us with. See you next week.